Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. Which is best, investing in stocks, mutual funds, or dividends? That all depends on your goals, and we break that down in this episode. Please welcome Jenny Jones. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. Nice to be here, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks a lot for joining me. And I would like for you, if you could kick us off and tell us about your background. Um, where should I start? When I was in kindergarten? No, I'll fast forward a little <laughs> we, bit. I'll go. <laughs> we get a lot of people, they'll start at like maybe, you know, if they went to college, college years, early 20s, <laughs> right? And then work to the present a little bit. Yeah, no, it's it's not that serious. I just, that was a, more of an icebreaker for myself, if you will, right? Sure. Um, no, I didn't do the traditional, um, right after high school, I went to college. I actually went to the military. Because um, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to the military, spent about 10 years there, got the GI Bill and was able to go to college after that. So I was in there, I was doing inventory management. So counting beans, bullets, toilet paper, mm-hmm. you know, and so that kind of brought me to an accounting background. And when I got out, I was doing um, some accounting work and went back to school and um, started getting into finance. But I had this passion for for IT. So they all kind of verge together and leads me to now where I'm, I have a background in IT, finance, and accounting. So if you mix that up gotcha. in a mixer, you got a good little combination of vast background there. So And and what do you do? Like, what's do you work for somebody or do you have your own business? Yeah, you know, I, I've been advising clients for a little over two decades now. Um, about 23 years. Um, and that was a challenge within itself because my way in was right after 9-11, you know, the mm-hmm. market crashed and a lot of things. And I was doing IT, obviously, for AT&T. And they're like, yeah, you know, we got to start thinning back. And um, the funny thing about that is they started laying a lot of people off because we were getting pressure from WorldCom. Right. So if you remember WorldCom, do you remember WorldCom? You don't I do. I do not. No, you don't. They were the biggest competitor to AT&T. But ironically, they were cooking the books. Right. And so at the time, our CEO was trying to beat WorldCom. We were heading neck and neck with them. They were the other largest telecom. It's like, why can't we seem to beat them? Why can't we seem to beat them? And then, so at the same time, it says we need to, the market's changed, right? And you know, they're always leveraged from the market mm-hmm. as well. And they wanted to reduce the workforce. So I got reduced out. And it's funny, when I got reduced out, I said, you know what? Let me get out of telecom. Let me go back to finance. And when I got reduced out, it came out like six months later. Next thing you know, they have uh, Bernie Ebers, the CEO, and all the officers of WorldCom in handcuffs. They're mm-hmm. escorting them out because they were lying to Wall Street the entire time, right? They were lying and they cost all of us our jobs because we were trying to beat them and we couldn't beat them. And the company ended up folding and all that. The, the whole sure. point of the story is I learned a lot in that and I wanted to get into the markets a lot more. So the only sure. way in was I had to start selling insurance. 
Got it. Okay. (laughs) So you sold insurance. Were you a financial advisor as well? No, I I started out and I mean, that that was my only way in, right? I I didn't really have an entry way in. And once I started selling insurance, I gradually learned how to scale in that particular profession. It was insurance. Then I went to variable products. Then I went to be getting a general license as a stockbroker, then advisory. And I kind of went up the ranks through that, but I had sure. to start, had to be door to door first, right? Sure. <laughs> Got it. That The reason I ask those questions to give our audience sure. some context in what you do for a living. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you've got experience there in IT, then insurance, and eventually working up to wealth advisory or, or financial advisory. Yeah. 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 And, and so that's, and I guess I just wanted to and I didn't know where you were going with it. He's like, hey, just give our well, you just give our audience some of your background and what you do and how you got there. So that I'm I apologize. I should have just said, hey, I got over, <laughs> I got over 20 years in advising. Mostly the core area is um long term, right? Because I do a lot of retirement planning, which I love because it's almost like sure. just just sitting down and, and helping people put these these plans together. And I have more experience in that area. And then we'll see later on when we talk how the IT ties into that now and how the two come together now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, let's dive into your investment journey. So when did you first start investing in the stock market? What year? So I started investing in the stock market in around 1988 or so. You didn't happen to buy Apple or Microsoft at that point, did you? I did. Okay. Did you hold it? no, I didn't. Oh, come on, man. No. So what happened was, <laughs> what happened was I bought, yeah, I bought Apple as soon as they announced Steve Jobs is coming back, but I didn't know what their vision was and I didn't know what they wanted okay. to do. And I got chicken, right? I got chicken on that. I had opportunity to buy Netflix. There's a lot of other things, but I didn't know. I, I kind of was faddish, right? I didn't, now I can read financial statements. Now I can read you know, um, you know, uh, statement of cash flows. I now understand where the money is going and how it's traveling. You know, fast forward now, I'm like, I yes. was, but man, if, if I would have held on to the Apple and I didn't have that much then, I was still trying to figure it out, but I didn't have that much in sure. it. But their, their share was, I think their stock was $7, either $7 or $11 then. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and they've, and they've done, I believe, five stock splits. I'm just doing a quick how many Yeah, Apple. thank you. You're gonna you're gonna really make me feel bad on that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Five, yeah, okay, yeah, that's exactly what happened, yeah. But anyway, what um, <laughs> what did you invest in at that point besides Apple? Did you go into like ETFs or index funds, mutual funds? No, I when I first started because you know that's uh, pre kids, right? So mm-hmm. you know it's it's before you have any other responsibilities. You, I was just doing stock, right? And I was doing. I was with a company called ShareBuilder. I don't know if you remember them. I'm actually dating myself, but ShareBuilder allowed you to buy parcel shares. So if you couldn't afford a whole share, you can buy a fractional of a share. And so I was doing some dollar cost averaging into that. And I was buying WMT, which is Walmart and HD, Home Depot. So I was buying brands that I knew, right? I bought AT&T, you know, so so some of those brands. And um, so that's what I initially did. I started out in stock, sure. right? And as I learned more, I was like, I don't, I don't have time to day trade, basically. So okay, okay. <laughs> do you? Those are some solid names that oh, are absolutely. still performing well today. Mm-hmm. Do you still mm-hmm. hold any of those? I actually, I don't hold a lot of the portfolio I used to hold. I several years ago, I had, um, I had cancer. 
and I had mm. kidney cancer. And as a result of that, I wasn't the sole breadwinner at that time, but I was advising, but a lot of my business came from commissions. And um, when I wasn't able to produce anymore, uh, as a result of having cancer, I had to liquidate a lot of my positions mm. just to keep, kind of keep the household float. At that same time, that was when the housing market was crashing. A lot of things came at the wrong time. And I had to liquidate a lot of my positions. And, and since then, I've had to rebound, but just built it. A, I didn't build a house of cards this time. <laughs> sure, sure. If you will. Yeah. Well, it, it, here at Ticker, we're all about buying stocks over uh, bundled products, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would very much support that strategy. you got some blue chip names you definitely held, so... Yeah. Uh, how you, I have to ask real quick here, how are you feeling? Are you recovered? Yeah. So I had kidney cancer and um, they removed one of my kidneys. So now I only have one kidney. Gotcha. Um, you know, so that that happened. So that was I was on this trajectory, right? Learning, sure. understanding, growing in the market, getting a lot of new investors, bringing them into the market was I liked holding an equity position only portfolio, but I also liked holding a basket of mutual funds for the long term. So I kind of had these two working and I had a lot of things going. And I was on this on this trajectory. Then I had a cancer. I, I almost ended up on dialysis for the rest of my life. It was really, really unfortunate time. Yeah, for me, but yeah. I learned a lot from that. I had time to reflect. And I said, if I had the opportunity, you know, that was my prayer. If I had the opportunity to rebuild this, how would I rebuild it? And as we move on, you'll probably see how I kind of rebuilt everything on a core foundation. I think I had a lot of things because I was I was so new to the market. I was so exciting and it was in good times that I built a lot of things, almost like the market. I built a lot of things on a house of cards. We, you know, when I worked for, I'm not going to say the actual company because- sure. Uh, but I used to work for a uh, brokerage and all we sold and I did very well was we sold CMOs, which were collateralized mortgage obligations. Right. And I did very well in pushing those and selling those. But on the back end, this is for the whole crash. What they were doing is they was putting them in tranches and, and, and bundling them together and reselling the interest to thousands of other investors on the back end. But all these other investors owned all the mortgages of one or two families. And and that's mm-hmm. why no one could really refi because all these CMOs, these collateralized mortgage obligations, they owned all the tranches and the mortgage interest payments to them. So that's why Joe Smo down the street couldn't refi because, you know, his mortgage was owned by a thousand, two thousand people. So that was so, but I made me because it was doing well for my investors. I made a lot of money off of that because I was commission based at the time. And when after the collapse, that led me to believe that I no longer wanted to be commission based because it was it was more or less motivated for me to sure. make a commission, and I wanted to just be an advisor only. So that's kind of what happened. So I went through these evens and flows in this whole market. So what you were selling here. You know, I think back to the big short, the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and there are a few guys in the film selling those garbage collateralized mortgage products. Is that essentially yeah. what you were selling? I hate that's to say exactly. it straight. <laughs> well, no, that was that was the thing. Then, and that's exactly what we were selling. Wow. Because of because of people. But I didn't you know, I didn't know. I, I can say that now. But now I'm like, what was we thinking? Right. But sure. you're well, you got to think if Lehman Brothers fail behind that. What am I? I'm just a street broker, right? I knew the returns it was making. 
And I knew when my clients wanted, hey, I need something that's going to mm-hmm. give me, um, you know, this this kind of return to add it to my folder. I says, hey, how about collateralized mortgage obligations? And it's like people make their loan payments, right? Like, yeah. But I didn't think the other side was they have variables. And then when the market adjusted, it blew everything up. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was that was a lesson in history. Yeah, that's a major lesson. I give you that. I want to circle back here to your investing sure. journey. So um, what you said you started in the 80s, you, you bought some blue chip stocks. What kind of sure. dollar amount did you start with? I started small. And when mm-hmm. I say dollar amount, I, I, would, I would start with like a flat $100, $100 and then okay. when I found opportunities, I would increase it by increments of 50 Right until sure. you know, I would I would be doing about two fifty a month just dollar cost averaging into a stock or something yeah. like that and one position just one yeah. position that's ex- um, exactly what our customers want to know because they're mm-hmm. they're comparing okay. that number against how they're starting and what they could do so it sounds like low amount hundred bucks a month then increase that by fifty bucks as your income increases and go there you go there. yeah 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 that's. I learned, again, as I'm putting everything, as I put everything back together, I, wealth is built two ways to me. It's built brick by brick, and it's also inherited, right? So mm-hmm. people inherit wealth, and they're like, oh, I inherited. I don't really know what to do to keep it. I don't know what to do to extend the legacy because I didn't build it brick by brick. When you build it brick by brick, you learn the nuances, the ins and outs, the risks, what type of risks there are. There's political risks. There's all kind of different risks. But when you're building a brick by brick is when you learn. And I think you build a more fundamental portfolio that way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your investment strategy today? What do you invest in? So what I invest in now, what I, I'm, I'm a tried and true mutual fund guy. I think. So you think like, because you I, like paying the fees, huh? I do. I do. I, I like <laughs> the fees. I hate to admit that, but I'm able to. Yeah. I mean, there's. The fees are there for a reason because when you look at some of the portfolio managers that are managing it, right? If I can get 13%, they take their two, three percent off of it. I can get 10, right? I can get 10%, right? Uh, well, what if you just bought the SP 500 and average returns are 14% per year over the last 10 years? No fees. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Yeah. So, but the SP 500 doesn't pay a dividend, right? They, I mean, you can invest, you can invest in the index, but the index isn't going to pay you a dividend. But yeah, what I get Are some you, investors that come to me, they want to, they want to invest in stocks that generate dividends as opposed to going for returns. And I'm like, do you enjoy chasing pennies down a highway? I mean, come on. So I mean, you didn't tell me this podcast would turn into that. <laughs> hey, I push people, man. I, I no, like, del- delicately, but you know what I'm saying, though. There are people that look. Let's say I own X amount of shares, and my dividends are like, let's say, a hundred bucks a quarter. If they do mm-hmm. the math, uh-huh. as opposed to like like four or five percentage points greater than the market, right. when you take that percentage against your account, it. I mean. 400 bucks a year versus it could be 4,000, it could be 10,000 a year. Right. So when you walk people through the math like that, they realize like, oh gosh, like you're right. Like dividends are nice, but if I really focus on the returns, my wealth builds a lot faster. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple of rules of thought on that, right? And I don't, I'm not here to, to challenge 
That's okay. Uh, the payback time man himself. <laughs> where okay, so let me give you my thinking in that, right? So that's sure. a very good argument, right? Every there's a lot of philosophies, yeah. philosophies. I because I deal in mostly retirement. Um, I deal in retirement and real estate. Those are the two areas mm-hmm. that I concentrate in. I got but it. I I don't deal in um like some enormous, I'll manage a, a portfolio. If, I, if a client moved a portfolio to me, I'll manage that portfolio. I'll look at their, their positions, mm-hmm. things like that. But really what I'm doing is I'm managing people to retirement and I gotcha. would not. And I, and I try to do it where I'll put them on a couple of good horses and then I'll ride them. And what I do is it doesn't matter. I don't let my clients be concerned with the evans and flows of the everyday market and watching mm-hmm. it every day versus I don't care a dividend payment is coming. What I'll do if that dividend payment comes when the market is low, I'm reinvesting at a lower dollar amount. When the average mutual fund, let's say, let's say the average cost of the mutual fund is $35 per share, I own 200 different companies. And so the the the, the probability of me, of my entire portfolio just blowing up. I mean, everything would have to be underwater yeah. all at one time. But when those dividend payments come in, if the market has dropped, then say my say my mutual fund is now worth, you know, 20 bucks, but the average cost of that mutual fund is 30 bucks. I'm actually buying it $10 less, right? So I'm buying it while it's on sale and I'm reinvesting in it as it goes back up. Yep. I now now I get what you're doing. And now I agree with you 100 percent. My audience, we've got a lot of people in their 20s, 30s and 40s, some oh. people in their 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there because I do know some people are like, hey, I'm, I don't want the big returns anymore. That's not what's important to me. I just want to hold a bunch of stocks that pay the dividends and I can just hold the stocks. And you can just ride the roller coaster up and down. And regardless of where those stocks go, yeah. you're getting your dividends. And that's what they use to pay for golf, pay for yeah. travel, right? Yeah. Pay for if they want to mm. lease a new Tesla, whatever. You know, they're like, okay, so I get my four dividend payments through the year, depending on what they own, of course. Right. And that adds up to enough. It could be 50, 60, 70 K a year, whatever. Now, the, I don't give that advice to my son. Because my son, he's 22. Yes. We have a we have a different strategy. I work with him a little bit differently. So I yeah. get the difference, but I'm telling you the way I am and the way I'm conditioned because yeah. 90% of my clients, they're on the latter part of the accumulation phase, mm-hmm. moving into the distribution phase. So I have to be a lot careful with their money. And, yes. and, and what I learned from being in the you know, from being in this industry so long. Well, I remember when we had the first crash when I was in the industry, I was hiding under my desk and I was telling my assistants to, to send out my calls to voicemail because I didn't know what to do. I had never seen that before. I'm just, I'm saying I was a young guy, man. I was sure I was, I'd only been in the business like two or three years and I didn't know what to do. After writing it out, understanding it, going back, getting a master's degree, understanding finance and, and um, you know, the economic expansion and contraction, understanding what's consumer staples, what's, mm-hmm. you know, all the understanding the core fundamental pieces. Now I'm just like, yeah, yeah send them on through. But now I know up front, I'm setting expectations up front. And yep. so those are the things I didn't do. I didn't know. Now that I've been mm-hmm. in a business, like I already know that. So, yeah. Yep. I, I support that strategy. And to be honest with you, like, Yay! you know, if I, I, win, I want him over. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I would do is if I fast forward a few decades and I, I get to retirement, 
age, you know, I've got a Roth IRA that I'll, you know, start, mm-hmm. start taking out 59 and a half, I believe mm-hmm. around that age. Yeah. I might move my stocks into more blue chips that pay a dividend mm-hmm. and just write them out and live off the dividends. Don't sell shares to pay for things. Right. I'm, right. I'm all about just keep the shares and then just yes. take the dividend payments. So you can afford your lifestyle. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, I've been living that and sharing that philosophy with my clients and they just love it. It's like, yeah, magic. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm buying your large blue chip dividend paying. There are some mutual funds that increase the dividend every single year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And so there, I just get on good quality horses and I ride them. I don't overlap a lot. Right. Because if they're good, if there's a if there's a good core amount of funds in this one, it'll probably overlap with another one. And I don't need to own them both. Then I got double fees for no reason. I won't mention any names, but some of them, any advice that I share, whatever, there's things that I do with my clients because it depends on their risk tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And even when I'm working with clients outside of uh, when I'm on my podcast, when I'm sharing different things, I'm always saying, always seek out your own professional advice. But there was this one, it was called Capital World Growth, Capital World Growth and Income, and it was by American Funds. And they just had a handle on the international market and they had a lock on kind of the, the dividends from all over the world. And I used to ride them a really a lot. So I'd have a good international sure. mix and I'd have a good domestic mix. And I just kind of rode them both for the dividends. And it was just, it was magic. You know, I still mm-hmm. do. I still do that combo. I do some other ones now, but I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, no, that's smart. And to the, the listeners out there, just to kind of reflect on what we're talking about is like in your younger years, you know, I, I recommend, you know, you can use ticker for depend no matter what your age is, but go for those individual stocks to really accelerate your wealth building process. But as Absolutely. you get older, that's when you kind of shift. You can use ticker to find some really safe, great on-sale stocks that pay a dividend. And as is what Jenny and I were talking about here is, you know, live off the dividends. That way you don't have to yeah. sell any shares. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I own Ticker, right? And uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of how you and I met because I have yep. an IT background. And, and so I own Ticker and I, and it's funny, and I'll just tell you this because I'm on your show. Um, <laughs> I started looking at, I said, when I first got it, right? I was like, who's this guy? Right? He's Sean Tepper. I mean, who's, so I was like, <laughs> I saw what you were doing. I says, ah, let me see. So what I did was, I started running it against yeah. some of the other advice that I was using because I use a lot of different things. I'm looking at different things, Morningstar sure. and some other. So I bounced off. I was like, I said, man, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about here, right? So <laughs> I did that. I'm not, I'm not trying to blow his I'm just, I said, I appreciate I said he really knows what he's talking about. And so I turned my son on to, to your methodology and some of those things. I say, man, I like that, but I'm not in that season, no, but I'll still no. do that. I, I There are portions of my portfolio I do allocate to that. And yeah. so I do subscribe to that. I'm a, I'm a securities guy, tried and mm-hmm. true. But I, I think if I, if I can get those same securities with floaties at my age, because if yeah. I lose it, if I lose it, I can't put it back. Yeah. Right. And that's the, that's the thing. Once you get to a certain age, you're like, man, I'm not getting ready to go back. You know, yeah. I'll get it to a certain point where the dividends just pay for themselves, but to get there, yeah, you know, I'm gonna ride it. I'm gonna take the risk. Yeah, you know, so that that's what it is. So yeah, you're you're good. I like I like the way you phrase that. A season in your life, and that that's it. Your son is in a different perspective or a different yeah. season, you could say, and he can go for it. He can go for more of those 
grow yeah. stocks with great financials, he's going to make the returns. Yeah. But yeah, he, he turns a corner to another season. That's when played played a little more cool. You yeah. know, you don't ride these like I've got some stocks that I hold that they are down eighty percent. Yeah, and yeah. that's significant. But I'm I'm prepared for that, and I'm capitalizing on that. But if I were a lot older, I'd be like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would. The only reason why is because. If you lose it, you can't put it back yeah. like that because really the your greatest strength in investing is time. Yes. Well, if my window is like this, meaning that if I lose, and that's the biggest fear when I meet with a lot of my clients, I say, I was like, you're only in the money market. And I know, but but if I lose it, I'm like, dude, you're in the money market, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to walk them through that. And a lot of people, I'll open up their retirement portfolios for the first time and they may have. of their investments in the money market because they just don't understand. So I'll run into a lot of people like that. I'm like, no, let's, let's live a little, let's try to at least get seven, 8%. Right. Sure. Sure. And they're like, I'm just like, you're crawling around with one to 3% in your money market. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, you're still in partnership with the, with uncle Sam, right. You're still in partnership with the government. What do you mean? I said, well, they still got to get their money out too, right? right? And so now you're still in partnership with them. Once you go into a retirement plan, you are in partnership with the government. Yeah, yep, so. good point. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is Sean. I just want to say thanks a lot for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for checking out this one. Could you do me a quick favor? If you haven't done so already, could you leave us a five-star rating on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or any other platform you use to listen to podcasts? What this will do is help us rank higher in the uh, podcast search engines, you could say. So that would be much appreciated. Also, if there are any questions you want me to ask the guests or a specific topic you want me to address, please go to our ticker Facebook group. You can leave a comment there and I'd love to hear what you have to say. All right, back to the show. Um, What I'd like to do is uh, transition to another question here on your biggest success, biggest win and and biggest mistake from an investment standpoint. I know you invest in in stocks in the past, mutual funds, and real estate. So everything you invest in, what was your biggest investment success? My biggest investment success was going and getting educated on real estate at its core, right? From the ground up, going out and finding out what does it take to actually rehab a house, right? Because I think a lot of people want to be real estate investors, but they don't realize how much you have to be involved, right? You have to hire good general contractors and all, because time is money in real estate, right? Yeah. And you make your money on the buy, right? There's a lot of different things that you have to learn. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they're going to do away with the rehabbers and all that. They can't because it's the rehabbers that keep the tax roll up, right? That's mm-hmm. it's this It's this unwritten rule that if houses in this particular area are worth a certain amount, it is the rehabbers or the residential, what we call, what I call myself is a residential redeveloper that comes in and buys a house that's 30, 40 years old, comes in, guts it, brings it up to the 2000s, right? And keeps mm-hmm. the value of the tax roll for the state or county, right? Sure. So it's more of a partnership. So are there bad actors? 
Sure, there are. But knowing how to do that, knowing what time it takes to put contractors to work, how long they'll be in a job and having hiring good contractors, because you can have good contractors, they'll be there today and then they don't show up for two or three days. Now put your whole project back and now time is money. So just learning all of that from start to finish and being involved in that process is really what made me become a red, a better real estate sure. investor. Mm-hmm. Just keep it high level here. It sounds like, do you own residential properties like multifamily or single family? So residential, that's where your biggest pops are. So when you invest, so if you're a residential redeveloper, which I am, I'm not, I don't own, how many have I rehabbed? That's that's more of a Oh, are question. you flipping or are you right, creating so, income properties? Right. So no, I'm flipping. That's what, it, that's what I mean. So there's different types. And I yep. guess that's the reason why we need to clarify that. So I'm flipping homes and flip and what we call ourselves, quote unquote, residential redevelopers, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I'll do is, you know, so last year we did four properties. Um, This year, I think we'll probably do about 10. And so what we'll do is we'll take our money from California, right? Where we can get, we'll take it to different states where we can get, we can squeeze more out of the California revenue into another state, right? Because you, your money's not going to go that far in California, right? right? Average home out here is a half a million, right? You go to another place, mm-hmm. a Tennessee or something like that, where homes are like mm-hmm. 200, you know, or maybe 130, you know, we're able to get a home for 70, right? We'll go to Milwaukee, get a home for 70, 75,000. Yep. So what we're able to do is we'll put 25, 35,000 in it, and then we'll walk away with like 70 to 80,000, and then we'll put it back to work again. And so I'll do that. Or then I have some clients that want to do some different things. Right. And so not just seeing it on TV, being involved in it. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work too. It it is. I I give you credit because I don't know too many people that do the fix and flip. We have had a lot of people on here. The majority of real estate investors create the income property, buy Uh it once, hold it, and just increase the rent every year is really their strategy. And and they could have two units, 20 units, 200 Mm -hmm. units. We've some people with even more, but yeah, that's interesting. So if you're doing four properties a year, boy, that's quite a hustle. You got a lot of coordinating, a lot of contractors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm involved. I mean, I, I have a network of uh, okay. access to about 30,000 of us are all part of this large network and we're spread out across the entire United States. Sure. So there's people I can pick up the phone and says, Hey, do you have a contractor there? I need a photographer there. I need to do this and do that, or we'll fly in and do some different things. Wow. But I've, I haven't, I've kind of stayed closer to home, more or less just to Texas, where I can just fly over and do that. And I have a good relationship uh, with a friend of mine out there. So it's a little bit different. Um, there's two methods. There's two schools of thought, just for your audience. The fix and flips are bigger returns, right? But when you, when you do the buy and holds, the buy and holds are you're either going for growth or you're going for growth and income. Or you have aggressive growth, growth, then growth and income. Aggressive mm-hmm. growth is you're just trying to just hit it out of the park. You're going to go buy something over here in this community where you see the development, you see all the other things that they're doing, and you bring that that house up to value and you try to, to buy and hold that house, right? And then you mm-hmm. try to squeeze it on the back end, on the back end, or you're just getting the money, you're getting out 100 thousand and then you're going to do another and turn it a hundred and a two fifty or some so on and sure. so forth like that. Yep. I I follow that that does make sense because you'll get these windfall events throughout the year 
And you could take that, reinvest in another property, which it sounds like you're right. doing, or you could reinvest right. that into the stock market yeah. or your own business. And I, so. and I switched on you because I own, you know, that's that's one of my LLCs. I, sure. you know, I own a corp and I know I own another LLC because I do these different investments. And so that's one business I have, but I have sure. two other businesses. So I'm kind of, but I like that business because I understand it like that. And I know how to make the quick, yeah. you know, 80, 90,000. I know how to make, I know how to do that. And I have the sure. relationships with that already. So yeah. That's that's a lot of coordinating. Good to hear you got the network. But yeah, for for some coordinating, do a few windfall events that can be 80 to 90K a pop. Right. Now right. we're talking. Yeah, that's good. No, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Let's flip the equation here. What was your uh, biggest investment mistake or lesson learned? Um just investing. I think my biggest lesson that I would give to any person probably in your demographic is, um, and the biggest lesson that I, I shared this with my son, because he just took a six-figure job out of college and it surprised me. I was like, what? And one of the things that I had to learn was, um, and I never knew this because no one ever told me, if you may be making good money today, but it's not guaranteed that you'll always make that. And I was, one of my lessons was, so when I, I was making probably quarter of a million, I was making a lot of money. And I always thought that I would make that kind of money. Right. And so you always think that you're either going to make that kind of money or it's going to continue to go up always and exponentially. And that's not the case as a young person. Right. I had to learn that. And so making this amount of money early and then going back down to this amount was an adjustment. I was like, I should be making that amount of money. It's like, you're not guaranteed sure. to always, you're not always guaranteed to stair step up is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, I guess that would be my biggest mistake because I always thought I would. Yeah. Good advice. I was just going to summarize. So a big lesson learned there is for everybody listening is probably if you're making good money, try to invest. Don't just spend it on dumb things. Absolutely. Right? absolutely. Because your income tomorrow could be significantly less and you won't have that money to invest. Well, working in a private organization, right, and your company's publicly traded, mm-hmm. you might come in on that Monday. Most companies adjust in the last quarter because they're trying to get thin moving into the next fiscal year. They're, they're trying mm-hmm. to get thin. So they do a lot of your layoffs happen in the last quarter, right? And a lot of people are getting ready for Christmas and they go out and do all this, spend all this money on credit card stuff and all that. And then they end up getting laid off because the company is saying, hey, we need to go into the next fiscal year. We need to be thinner. There's some positions we need to eliminate. These are the positions are overlapping or we just sure. acquire this company. So that's creating overlap. So doing that a lot, you're not always guaranteed. You're, you're not. You just No, no. And so investing is good. I lived off my investments when I got um, mm-hmm. cancer. And it was really because I invested early. Yep. That allowed me to, to live off of that. So, yeah. No, good, good advice. Good lesson learned. Um, what I'd like to do next is transition to the rapid fire rounds. We got a Uh-oh. few fun questions here where we sure. get to find out who Jenny really is. Rapid fire rounds. Okay, if you let's can, bring it. Yep. If you <laughs> can try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? All right. All right. What is your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast is uh, Payback Time. <laughs> Payback Time. That's my favorite podcast. Favorite podcast. Uh, Appreciate I'm trying it. To say within 15. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? A recent book that I read, uh, a book that I, one is called The Cashflow Quadrant yeah. by Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, I think he does a very Rich good- Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Yeah. He does a yeah. very good 
way of breaking in things down. Yeah. If you go from, you know, definitely if you want to move into a full-time investor, that's, he breaks it down. Sure. Yeah. Good book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie. I'm, I'm a big fast and furious fan. I mean, okay. so I don't know. I mean, if I, if you had it with, yeah, now I have to ask which one I, be very careful five, how you answer. I think, can, was, I think it was five, man. I think really? It was five. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was the first one the rock was in, correct? I think it was. Yeah. It was the, first yes. one the rock was in. Yeah. It was the first one. Yeah, you know, it's funny of the nine or 10 that come, have come out, that is actually my favorite as well. I, oh, okay. Yes. I, I thought the tone was a little more serious. Yeah, it went yeah. to another level. That was when it went to another level. That was the movie yeah. that took it to another level. So yeah. Yeah. did you cut into my 15 seconds by answering your favorite? I did. I had All to. Right. I had to push okay. it. See, the movie question I always love because I get to I get to <laughs> a little better read on who I'm dealing with here. <laughs> fast five good choice yeah um what is the best investment advice you ever received the best investment advice i ever received was pigs live another day but hogs get slaughtered Mm. (laughs) (laughs) don't be greedy that's right don't be greedy you're gonna i mean if you're riding it you know you're riding it just don't take Great. on too much and just stay diversified. Always yes. have something. To, yeah. Yeah. Good advice. And what is the worst investment advice you ever received? Um, in the next book that I'm writing, I talk about everybody has a different investment DNA, right? Everyone, everyone is like, is it, is you guys the same? No, we're not the same. You can have twins. They're not going to be the same. They're not going to have the same investment DNA is because Let's say they're twins and they grow up, one gets married, they both get married and all that. One has two kids, one has one kid. The DNA, it's it's shifted. And you're taught as a child how to handle money differently by what your parents extend to you or what they share with you. And so everybody has a different investment DNA. So if I'm on TikTok and I'm sharing, hey, do this, do that, it doesn't work for me. Right. I have to work for what's for me. So it's really getting yourself uh, a professional, right? No one's trying to take you to school, trying to take all your money. Get someone that's going to educate you and um, invest and pour into you so that you can fish for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started, man. You almost got me started around here, man. No, I, <laughs> good answer. I, I can agree yeah. with that. Yep. Uh, and last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? What age I would visit? I would go back to the 25-year-old and I would say, start investing in blue chips. And I would say, never, ever, by any means necessary, cash out any 401ks or any IRAs. Never, ever cash out. Um, I got rid of one fund. It's closed now. I don't even open it anymore. I would be up so much right now. I'd be mm-hmm. retired and I'd, um, I'd be somewhere relaxing on a beach with a colored drink somewhere <laughs> with an umbrella in it. I, I can agree with drink, a lot of fruity drink in it. So I can agree with that. Great advice there. All yeah. right. I'll turn it over to you. Where can people reach you? I'm um, not hard to find. I mean, a guy named Jenny Jones, I mean, shouldn't be hard to find. <laughs> I, I do a lot of real estate stuff. But I do a lot of retirement stuff as well. That's more my bread and butter. That's what I know I can roll out of bed and do and give advice on. So um, one of the places you can find all the tools that I developed because I have the IT type setup is retirementplanning.tools. So that's retirementplanning.tools. 
tools. From there, you're going to find an array of different tools that I've built for um, people planning to go into retirement. And then as they get, what I ended up figuring out was a lot of people, because they, they made the wrong mistakes, the mistakes that I made as a youth, they are not ready to retire. They can't afford to retire. So I created a, a plan B for them. Mm-hmm. And that's the side hustle. That's the side hustle retirement plan. So I created that specifically for people that cannot retire. Nice. And so I had to add that to my mix because I'm running in people say, well, can I retire? We do all the numbers. It's like, you can't afford to retire. So let's start getting you some, some passive income coming in on the, on the side from the things you love to do from your experiences. Let's start writing books. Let's start starting podcasts. Let's create some residual, residual income. So now I turn into this consultant of showing people how to take what they know and take the experience that they've had and turn that into a passive income stream, why they continue to work on the side. So that's something I added that I had, I needed it because they were asking me and I've done it. You know, I've built three companies, so I've done it. So I'm able to add that to them. So there you go. Awesome. Thanks a lot for your time, Jenny. Really appreciate uh, talking about the dividends and the benefits there, especially as you're nearing or in retirement age. And then it's pretty cool to hear what you're doing with real estate as well. Yeah, the uh, I didn't even get into my double duty dollars with the dividends. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on the show then. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it. Hey, it was good. It was good hanging out with you today. Play awesome. Thanks, right. Jenny. We'll see you. All right. Thanks. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.